to James chapter 3. James, the third chapter. We will continue our journey through this epistle of James. And tonight we're going to be dealing with verses 13 through 18. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. James writes as he's led by the Holy Spirit, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if he have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. And let's pray. Lord, once again, thank you for the the book that we have, how you've inspired it and preserved it and kept it for us just as you want us to have it. Thank you that your word is alive. It's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We're thankful that the word of God can penetrate where no man can get, and we praise you for it. Now tonight, once again, as we look to your word, we need your instruction. We need your leadership. We need for the Holy Spirit to speak to us by your word, through your word. Help us to be attentive to what he has to say to us tonight, that we might have ears to hear. And we ask it all and pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I titled this, Wisdom from Above and Below. Wisdom from Above and Below. Wisdom was an important thing to the Jewish people. They realized it was not enough to have knowledge. You have to have wisdom in order to be able to use knowledge correctly. We all know people who are very intelligent, perhaps near geniuses, and yet are unable to carry out the simplest tasks of life. They can program computers, but they cannot manage their own lives. In our text for this evening, James moves from dealing with the tongue, its dangers and potential misuse, to the subject of having godly wisdom. He begins with a question, who among you is a wise man? In other words, who can be considered to be wise in a spiritual sense? He then goes on to reveal the reality of human wisdom and spiritual wisdom, as well as dealing with the differences of each. And so tonight we're going to look at these wisdoms that James deals with, the heavenly and the earthly. The first thing we see here in verse 13 is the evidence of godly wisdom revealed. He says, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. And uh, we see uh, James calls on those with wisdom to have a good conversation. When he talks about that, he's not talking about words. He's talking about manner of living. 
the manner of life and character of his everyday behavior will be that of a godly person, a good conversation. And then godly wisdom will be evidenced by his works. James says, let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. It's more than just words and thoughts. It's the outward living of a Christ-like lifestyle that the wise man has. Godly wisdom will be evidenced by the meekness of one's spirit and one's temper. He says there, show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Seems like this word meekness keeps coming up over and over again. And I think God's trying to focus our hearts and minds on something here. Meekness. Godly wisdom is going to be evidenced by the meekness of one's spirit and one's temper. Wisdom is displayed when we control our anger and when we patiently bear the anger of other people. When we're able to remain calm and collected, we are best able to hear and reason and best able to speak. Proverbs 29 and verse 11, A fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man will keep it till afterwards. Uh, you know, sometimes in the heat of a situation, we have a tendency to start shooting our mouth off. Mm-mm-mm. Well, according to Proverbs, we're showing ourselves to be fools. We're not to utter all of our mind. We're to keep it till afterwards and think about what we're about to say. And then godly wisdom will be displayed. He says there, let him show it out. That, that has the idea of bringing something to light, displaying something, put some... Uh, exhibiting something. And so godly wisdom must be displayed. James calls upon people in the church who profess to be wise to show it or to demonstrate it openly. Such wisdom is evidenced by acts of holiness and righteousness. And of course, I preached on righteous living uh, in the morning service. Righteousness and holiness. Such wisdom is evidenced by a spirit of meekness. True wisdom is mild and calm, patient and self-constraining. That's temperate. And this morning's Sunday school lesson was on being temperate. And uh, we need to do that. A meek spirit is not a weak spirit, but one of power under control. Keep that definition of meekness. I think it will help you. Power under control. We talked about that last time. I made a little note here. Christ was meek, but he was not weak. His power was was there, but it was always under control. And that's how we're supposed to be. You know, so often we may have won the argument, but we lost our testimony. Mm -mm -mm. So, we see here the evidence of godly wisdom. And then the next thing is the things that negate godly wisdom in verses 14 and 15. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. So there are some things here, he says, that negate godly wisdom. And the first is a bitter bitter spirit of envy. He says there, but if you have bitter envying and strife, to have bitter envying in one's heart toward a 
wiser, more gifted, and more successful believer is the very opposite of godly wisdom. We're not to be envious of other people. Such envy leads that person to do and say things that are mean-spirited and contrary to the spirit of Christ. So if we're going to if we're going to have the right kind of wisdom, we need not to have a bitter spirit of envy, envying other people and other believers. And then a bitter spirit of strife. And that's interesting how he's worded this envy and strife. Uh, strife has to do with division. Strife has to do with rivalry and contention, uh, factions and uh, um, cliques. Hmm? Breaking off into separate groups uh, in a negative way. And so uh, the spirit of strife is one of division. And that is a, is a thing where a person seeks followers. Self is on the throne and division is the result. People trying to rally people to follow them. And uh, that's not godly wisdom. We're supposed to follow the Lord and follow the scriptures. Uh, that kind of behavior reveals a self-centered carnal spirit. Mm -mm -mm. And then things that negate godly wisdom, a boastful spirit. It says, uh, but if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. <clears throat> a boastful spirit, that speaks of one's promoting and gloating over their division and strife. Some people live, it seems like, to cause division and strife. <clears throat> Some people seem like they're not happy unless they're stirring something up and uh, that kind of thing. And uh, uh, James writes here and he says, oh, no, no, you shouldn't glory and gloat over that kind of thing. Over in Proverbs chapter 6, go over there for a minute. <clears throat> Proverbs 6 and verse 19. It's talking about the six things God uh, despises, that God sees as abominations. And in verse 19, it says, A false wickes, uh, witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Listen, God is not for division. God is for unity. Now, not unity at any cost. That don't mean we compromise for unity, but it means that we seek to be unified as much as possible in the truth. So it's a boastful spirit that we ought not to have. That will negate godly wisdom. And then the blind spirit, he says, lie not against the truth. Somebody said this, I think it's so appropriate, Wisdom never parts company with truth. Hmm. To imagine that one can use lies and half-truths and trickery to promote the cause of Christ is to reveal a heart that is a stranger to godly wisdom. I'm going to say that again. To imagine that one can use lies, half-truths, and trickery to promote the cause of Christ is to reveal a heart that is a stranger to godly wisdom. Lies may produce quick results, but in the end, lies are counterproductive. So we see the evidence of godly wisdom, and then we see the things that negate godly wisdom, and then we see a threefold source of ungodly wisdom. He says that kind of wisdom is earthly, sensual, 
and devilish. Boy, all three of them sound nasty to me. Mm-mm-mm. Well, first of all, that kind of wisdom is worldly. It has a secular source. This wisdom, that which he has just denounced, is earthly. It is the wisdom of this world and expresses itself in various ways. All human philosophy, science, and religion evidence their secular origins. That kind of wisdom, we're talking about secular wisdom, we're talking about worldly wisdom, stresses humanism, stresses education, technology, science, health, comfort, all of those things, nothing spiritual. That's earthly wisdom. And then he says it's, it's earthly, and then it's sensual. It has a sensual source. What's that mean? It's governed by man's instincts. I was thinking about how many times do people say, well, I feel. Your feelings are sensual. It really doesn't matter what we feel. What matters is what does God say? Hmm? You know, I've had people, well, I feel this and I feel that, and I challenged them. Well, uh, that's your opinion. What does God have to say? Hmm? We're living in a crazy world where everybody wants to do what they feel is right. That's why we're in the situation we're in. Hmm? Everybody wants to do as they think they should do. Well, no, there has to be some absolutes, and the absolutes are found in this book. Sensual. Such wisdom is in accordance with, in accordance with or springing from corrupt desires and affections. Listen, when we start going by our feelings, we're going by corrupt things. Paul said, there is no good thing in my flesh. Our thoughts, our deeds apart from the Lord are all going to be corrupt. It refers to wisdom that has its roots in man's lower nature or the unsaved man. And that's a nature that hungers, appetites, uh, has our hungers and appetites and lusts and cravings and desires that he does not wish to or cannot control. He finds ways to rationalize or to justify his lawless indulgence in these inner forces. You know, the unsaved crowd always tries to justify what they want to do. You know, I was thinking about the abortion issue. And uh, it's murder, plain and simple. It's taking of a human life. Well, how do they justify that? Well, they come around with this thing, well, a woman has a right to say what happens with her body. Well, yeah, she does. But that right to say what she does with her body uh, comes before she gets pregnant. Once she is with child, now she's carrying another human being. Hmm? But they try to justify it. Oh, a woman has a right to do what she will with her own body. And uh, there are so many other areas we could, we could cite as examples or illustrations how man tries to justify his thinking, rationalize what he's doing. And then notice the third thing. There's a satanic source. He says it's devilish. 
You know, Satan strives to fill the mind of men with lies and deceit. Thereby, he can keep them in the, under his control. The devil is a liar and the father of it. The devil comes as an angel of light trying to deceive. He's the great deceiver. Isn't that what he did to Eve? He deceived her. And uh, she bought into it, and he's still in the business of deceit today. Deceit is one of his most powerful and potent weapons. By the way, it's one of his most popular weapons as well. Hmm. False religions fostered by him doom multitudes of people to hell. I don't hate people that are involved in other religions, but I hate other religions. Every false religion is nothing more than another means of Satan to take people to hell. If he can get people wrapped up in a false religion, they'll not be looking for the truth. And we see it time and again. And some very devout people who will die and go to hell, as devout as they might be. Hmm. He's the author, if you will, of deceit. False religions fostered by him do multitudes to hell. And he's the author of envying and strife that James talked about just in the verse before. Listen, Satan is never for unity. And God, look at verse 16. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Just, I want to remind you of this. God is not the author of confusion. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. When there's confusion, you can mark it down. It's not of the Lord. Mm -hmm. So, and then I want you to notice the next thing. The traits of wisdom that's from above. Now, he's talked about earthly wisdom, sensual wisdom, devilish wisdom. But now, in verses 17 and 18, he's talking about the right kind of wisdom. Wisdom from above. And he gives the traits of that wisdom. First of all, he says wisdom from above is pure. And that pure means free from defilement. That means the right kind of wisdom will never suggest or condone anything, <clears throat> anything unclean or vile. It never offers a defiling thought. So the right kind of wisdom is always going to be, be based upon proper thinking, pure, free from defilement. And then he says it's peaceable. That means the right kind of wisdom is peace-loving, disposed to peace. We could say it's not antagonistic, not divisive. That word peaceable has the idea of unity together. And, and the right kind of spirit and the right kind of wisdom is going to want to be unified. It's a good thing for uh, Christians to dwell together in unity, the psalmist says. And then it's gentle. Wisdom that is from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle. That gentle has the idea of being forbearing in dealing with people. We could say maybe patient or long-suffering, kind and courteous. Go over to Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 2. 
Paul says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Long-suffering, patient, gentle there, uh, forbearing. Uh, we need to be forbearing of people. Then he says, let me get back to where I was. Back to James chapter 3. He says, uh, but the wisdom from above is pure, then peaceable, gentile, and easy to be entreated. You know what that means? That means reasonable. Someone you can talk to. Hmm? Being willing to listen to reason. And being willing to change when one is wrong. Hmm. The opposite would be a closed-minded or unapproachable person. Now, I was thinking about that. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking negatively about my dad, but my dad was not an approachable person. He was not a person that you could really reason with. Hmm? He kind of had his positions, and that was his position, right or wrong. Hmm? But we're not supposed to be that way. We're, su we're supposed to be pliable, if you will, uh, easy to be entreated. People ought to be able to come and talk to us, even about delicate things and difficult things, and, uh, and feel confident that they're going to be treated properly. Mm -hmm. And then he goes on. He says, full of mercy. That idea of mercy has the idea of being filled with pity and compassion and kindness. You know, another thing about true mercy is it doesn't discriminate. True mercy shows pity upon the sinner and the saint. Mm -hmm. Mercy. Matthew 5, verse 7, Luke 6, 36, speak about us showing mercy. And then he goes on, he says, full of mercy and good fruits. What he's talking about there is the acts that come from the feelings of mercy. It's one thing to feel mercy. It's another thing to express through your actions the mercy that you're feeling. And uh, those good fruits are the acts of mercy. It reaches, uh, mercy reaches out to help those in need, no matter how low they are or how far they've fallen. I think we could define this mercy he's talking about here as undeserved favor. Hmm? Isn't that what we get from God? We don't deserve mercy, but he shows it to us. He goes on now, and he says, without partiality. That carries the idea of, of, of treating people equally, not showing favoritism or bias. Seeing people like Christ sees them, souls for whom Christ died. We need to treat everybody with respect, no matter who they are or what they are. We're to be unbiased. 
Listen, I've said it before, I'll say it again. There's no place in the Christian life for prejudice or racism. None. You say, well, certainly no Christian would be a racist or... or Listen, friend, I pastored in the South. And there are some people down there who still have pretty strong feelings of racism. Yeah, and from time to time it would be expressed to me. I mean, they're not ashamed of it, but they should be. Hmm? Listen, doesn't matter the color of our skin, doesn't matter where we came from, doesn't matter about, about our lineage. Uh, Every person is a soul for whom Christ died, and they're important to him, so they ought to be important to us. Hmm? You know, I, I believe our country's come a long way uh, in, in, in fighting racism, but we've not arrived yet. There's still a lot of it. And, and let me say this, it's, it's on both sides. Yeah, it's not just whites against blacks, it's blacks against whites. Hmm? And sometimes it's whites against Spanish and Spanish against blacks and, and those kind of things. Listen, there's no room for that. Mm -mm. Every person is a soul for whom Christ died. And, you know, we go beyond just skin color and nationalities, uh, you know, social status. person may be not well off, well, just downright poor. Maybe they don't have the finest clothes or the finest car or finest house and those kind of things, but they're just as important as the person who does have those things. James talked about us showing deference, if you will, or us showing favoritism towards people that, that have people that are wealthy, people that have the best clothes and godly apparel, or goodly apparel and that kind of thing. He's already dealt with that. There's no place for that. And especially in the church house. Hmm. Without partiality. And then this is interesting. He says, and without hypocrisy. This kind of wisdom has to be a real type wisdom. It has to be a real and consistent type wisdom in the Christian walk of the person who claims to be wise. That hypocrisy, that, that has to do with not being a pretender. See, it comes from the Greek word that, that described people who were, were in drama plays and they would wear a mask or hold up a mask and pretend they were somebody else. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sad to say there's too many Christians playing that game. They're one way in the church on Sunday. They're another way Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday out there. There's no place for that. That's hypocrisy. How many times do we have people say, well, you know, church has hypocrites. When somebody says that to me, I agree with them. Because it's true. But then I challenge somebody who says that. I say, well, if the hypocrite is, is between you and God, then who's closer to God? Hmm? I said this morning, our church is not a place for the perfect Christians, a trophy case for God to put perfect Christians on display. No, 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 a thousand times no. 
It's a spiritual hospital for needy Christians. Amen. And for the souls of men to come and receive Christ as their Savior. And that's what we need to be and ought to be. And so we see here James is contrasting two types of wisdom. James wrote probably around 64 A.D., probably. And so we're 2,000 years advanced from when he wrote, but that has not changed. What he wrote is still true and applicable today in our world. There is worldly, earthly, secular wisdom, and then there's spiritual wisdom. And as believers, we have to strive to have and to live out spiritual, godly wisdom. And James gives us some suggestions there of how we do that. He tells us what that godly wisdom ought to be. He says, but the wisdom that is from above is pure and peaceable, Gentile, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what James tells us here. Thank you for the truths that he shared with us about godly wisdom. Help us to have that desire in our heart, in our life, to have godly wisdom and to live godly wisdom every day. We know there's earthly wisdom. There's the wisdom of man and the wisdom of the world. Help us not to function that way, but help us to seek you day by day, to seek the wisdom from above, and when we have that wisdom, to walk in it. Now speak to hearts here tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed,